Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Good. My name is Kim Massengale, and I am Pastor Mel's wife. Um, I don't want y'all to be worried. Mel is doing okay, but he is in uh, Columbus, Ohio today, uh, preaching at our sister church, Adventure Church. And so this was scheduled uh, before everything happened with his dad. And um, if you could be just praying for him today, the topic that they had chosen for him to preach on long before a few weeks ago uh, was what, um, why do bad things happen to good people? And so um, if you know that Mel's uh, dad suddenly passed away on December uh, 23rd, and so he's just been going through, uh, we all have been going through a difficult time, but you know what? That topic isn't a surprise to God, I believe, and Mel believes too, that God chose that topic for him to preach on uh, for him, um, but as well as for the people he is teaching to today. So just keep him in your prayers. He'll be back here uh, next weekend to preach, and so um, he wanted me to make sure that you knew that he is okay, Um, and I want to just thank you as his wife. Uh, He has read every card that has been sent, which there have been hundreds. Um, He sat down on Friday and made notes about everyone who sent a card and and just wept, of course. I know that's a surprise to you that he would cry, Um, but uh, it has meant a world to us, just your outpouring of love that you have shown us. So thank you so much. Um, I want to welcome those of you who are guests with us today. We're so honored that you would choose to spend your morning with us. So I pray that you have a good experience today. I also want to welcome those who are watching online at summitpa.church. Summitpa.church. Yeah, that sounds weird. Um, Anyways, thanks, Ben, for laughing at me. Um, But I want to welcome you wherever you are watching. We're so glad that you are with us. We are praying for you, and we pray that God speaks to you today. For those of you who haven't gone through Growth Track yet, I want to invite you to get plugged into that. It is offered every weekend. You do not have to sign up or register for it. You can just show up. It is offered on Saturday nights at 6.30 or Sunday mornings at 11. But it is the best way to get uh, connected at Summit and also just to learn more about Summit Church and why we do the things that we do. So I want to invite you to get plugged into that. And then we've also been in a a few weeks now of a prayer and fasting. And so every January, we as a church ask you as a collective to lay down something for 21 days, whether it be uh, food or social media, something that you typically go to and rely on and fast that and set aside time to seek God. And Scripture is clear that things happen when we seek him, when we fast, and when we pray. And so I just want to encourage you to continue on with that. If you haven't started yet, it's never too late to fast and pray. Um, And I do want to invite you this next week from uh, 11 to 1 every single day, Monday through Friday, the church will be open for a time of prayer. And so come and join us on your lunch break. It's come and go, um, but come and join us as we pray together and just seek his face. And um, I invite you to come. 
Um, so we've been in this series on wilderness. Mel started it last weekend, and he did a great job um, just teaching on Moses and his wilderness experience. And so if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. It was a great, um, a great teaching. And today I'm going to focus on the story of Joseph, which is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And um, it is one that Moses decided in the book of Genesis uh, was a pretty important story that he gave Joseph uh, chapters 37 through 50 to cover his story. And uh, so it's, I'm not going to read all of that to you today so you can take a deep uh, deep sigh of relief, but I do encourage you to read that story. And if it's something that you read as a child or were taught in Sunday school, I encourage you to go back and read it. And Joseph's story isn't one necessarily that he was in a actual wilderness, um, but his story is one that even in his experiences and the things that he went through, it was a wilderness experience. And Joseph's story is one of the few in scripture that we get to see what teachers would say from the, he got to experience from the pit to the palace. We get to see Joseph's full story of how God became victorious in his life. And so I am here today to encourage you that um, no matter what you are going through, that God is with you and he, um, and he wants to bring good to your life no matter what your situation is. So Mel started out last week just talking about what a wilderness is. So a wilderness is a season of our life where things are great until they aren't. And we all go through a wilderness experience, and if you haven't yet, you will. We all experience seasons of our lives where we say, God, why me? And how long is this going to last? The wilderness will find us all no matter what because we live in a broken and a fallen world. And that's the that's the truth. Um, so the wilderness is when we are think we're in a happy marriage, but all of a sudden our spouse comes to us and says, "I'm sorry, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce." The wilderness is when we think our health was fine, but we get the report from the doctor's office that it's otherwise. The wilderness is when we think that our job is secure. But then our boss comes in and says, I'm sorry, we can't keep you on any longer. We're having to lay you off. The wilderness is when you think you're easily going to be able to have a baby, but then you realize that you have infertility issues and you wait and you wait and you wait for your miracle. The wilderness is a place where we do get stuck and we say, where is God in all of this? And I know, as Mel said, we're experiencing our our own wilderness right now, and, and I do love the song, Waymaker, because even when we don't see that God is good, he is. Even when we don't see that he is working, he is, and that is our hope. So we're going to start, if you have your Bible, um, in Genesis 37, and all of these notes are also on the YouVersion Bible app. If you have that on your phone, you can follow along. Um, but I'm going to read Genesis 37, 1 through 5. And it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17-year-old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. So here's a few things that we see and learn about Joseph right off the bat. He is 17 years old. How many of you know a 17-year-old? None of you? Five of you. Brian does. Young life. There you go. Um, So, 17-year-olds sometimes, not all the time, most of the time, can think that they know it all and that the world revolves around them. I was one of those 17-year-olds, so I'm talking about myself as well. Um, So Joseph was kind of that boy, that 17-year-old boy who thought that the world revolved around him, and and honestly, it kind of did in his family. Um, He was also a tattletale. He ratted on his brothers any time that they were up to mischief and made sure his daddy knew what they were up to. Um, So kids, it's just important to know your siblings don't like it when you tattle on them. Um, He was a daddy's boy 100%, and Scripture is clear about that because it says in Scripture that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other children. Um, Joseph was the son of Jacob's favorite wife. I know, Jacob had multiple wives. Favorite wife, Rachel. And so how many of you like reality TV? You'll admit I, I get sucked in. There's a guy that raised his hand. I'm amazed. Only one person in here admits, you all, the rest of you are lying. You have it, recording it on your DVR right now. I don't, I honestly don't like it. But um, it makes me all kinds of nervous. But um, if you want to read true reality, read scripture. Because it's full of incredible stories that you wouldn't think God would include in the Bible, but he does. And Rachel and Leah, Jacob's uh, wives, uh, you should read that story. But Jacob had his favorite wife, Rachel, and Joseph was their miracle baby. So Rachel had experienced a long season of barrenness, and Joseph was born to them in Jacob's old age. And so Jacob made it really clear that Joseph was his absolute favorite. How many of you in the room would admit that you have a favorite child? Anyone? Do you have an only child? (laughs) You're the only one who is raised. Did you raise your hand too, Elmer? No, oh, Jacob, you don't have any children. (laughs) Unless, I don't know something about you, but... But you fully admit you have a favorite child. (laughs) I'm proud of you for being honest. Thank you. Most of the people that have raised their hand, like, oh, I have only children. So, um, but, and and people pressure me, like, Kim, you have to have a favorite. And And I just say, it just depends on the day, like, if Abby or Emma are my favorite. Um, But Jacob was clear. He loved Joseph more than all of his other kids, and he even made him a beautiful special coat to prounce around in. That's what I imagine Joseph prouncing around in this beautiful coat that made it clear to all of his brothers, I am the favorite. 
And so it signified a position of favor and birthright. And Joseph's brothers absolutely hated him. They hated him so much that they couldn't even say anything nice to him. And knowing his brothers hated him, Joseph made a really poor decision in that he decided to tell them some of his dreams. Now, word of advice, don't tell your dreams to people who hate you, especially if you're going to be telling them a dream that says they will bow down to you someday. It's not going to bode well from you, and we learn this from Joseph. So in Genesis 37, 6 through 11, Joseph reveals his two dreams that the Lord did give him. The first dream showed that one day Joseph would rule and reign over his brothers and have dominion over them, and they would be coming to him for food, and they would be bowing down um, to him. Well, of course, this really made them mad. And then Joseph decided, even seeing their anger already, decides to say, oh, and I had a second dream as well. And in this dream, not only did you guys bow before me, but so did our parents. Now that was a really big no-no. And so Joseph really lacked some tact and wisdom for sharing these dreams with the brothers who hated him. And then it made them hate him all the more. And so Joseph's desire was probably rooted in pride because pride says, I don't really care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to share because this is so great for me. It wasn't so great for them, right? So he focused on how great his dreams were for him and didn't consider how it would affect them. In Genesis 37, 12, uh, Jacob sends his son Joseph to find his brothers who were keeping the sheep, and we pick it up in verses 18 through 24, and it says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But then Reuben heard it. He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he may rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father." So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So when the brothers saw him coming, they immediately began to plot his murder and began to plot a way to kill him. And I don't know about you, but I fought with my sister as a teenager. She's three, four years younger than me, and we fought a lot. And we made our parents' lives miserable. But I can be honest and say that I never plotted to kill her and went through with it. No, I never plotted to kill her. I didn't. I promise. But um, this is some serious rage. This is some serious, like, Jerry Springer family issues. Is Jerry Springer even on anymore? I don't know. It is. Okay. Um, But this is some serious issues, and they planned to kill him, and it says that they stripped him of his coat. And what this is symbolic of is Joseph's brothers symbolically stripping him of what made Joseph Joseph. And I just want to ask you today, have you ever been stripped of something that made you you? 
You know, maybe it was an injury that happened to you while you were training for a sport that you thought you were going to be really successful in, and the doctor said, I'm sorry, your sports career is over. Maybe it was your job that you worked tirelessly to climb the ladder, and then one day they came in and said, you're fired. Maybe it was a marriage that you thought you would live happily ever after, but you find out that they are with someone else and have decided to end the marriage. Maybe you're the mom who spent your whole life pouring into your kids and making sure they had the best life ever, but as an adult, they ended up walking away and choosing not to have a relationship with you. We all eventually get stripped of something that we identify with. In verse 25, it says that not only did Joseph's brothers strip him and put him in the pit to die, um, but then they sat down to have a meal. My guys are really messed up. They have no conscience whatsoever. They sit down to have dinner, and we know that Joseph pleaded with them because we see it in verse, uh, chapter 42, 21, where they ignored his plea. So here's Joseph. He's 17 years old. He was given these dreams by God, but he had no clue this was gonna how, how it was going to play out. And here he is in this pit left to die, and he's yelling, Guys, please save me. And in anguish, he pleaded with them, and they just continued to eat dinner. So then they kind of come to their senses, but not really, and decide not to kill him, but let's make some money off of him. So they see these Midianite traders coming, and they sell him to these Midianite traders, traders, and they take him to Egypt to Potiphar's house and sell him there. So Potiphar uh, was an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So basically, he would be like, um, like the head of Pharaoh's secret service is what Potiphar did. So he was an important guy. Um, the point one that I want to make is in the wilderness you may be stripped, but you are still chosen by God. So the wilderness often begins with a stripping, whether it's of your own doing what choices you made that got you into the place, or whether it has nothing to do with choices you made but that were done to you. The fact is, is that someday you will be stripped of something. A stripping of what you thought defined you or a stripping of how you thought life was supposed to be. And when our identities are wrapped up in those things, we are shaken to the core. But when our identities are wrapped up in who we are in Christ... Those things come our way, the stripping occurs, and we might be shaken for a little bit, but ultimately we're able to get our footing because we know who Christ says that we are and that our identity is found in him and him alone and that he has this. We can move forward knowing that ultimately he is in control and nothing and no one can take away what God wants to do in and through you. And Joseph knew this ultimately. He knew that God had his back. So even though pride may have um, helped get him into the pit, he knew in the pit. He humbled himself before the Lord, uh, and he acknowledged, okay, God, I need you. Even in the midst of all this, God didn't depart from Joseph. 
And even in the midst of your wilderness and your difficult season, God doesn't depart from you if you are a follower of him. God used Joseph's brother's jealousy and wickedness to get Joseph to where he needed him. And this is our hope. Even if evil is done towards us, God steps in and God rewrites the script. It just isn't the way that we think it should look. Because the story gets, better, um, gets worse before it gets better for Joseph. But God was with him. In Genesis 38, the story takes a break from Joseph for just a little bit and focuses on his brother Judah. And it talks, again, this is reality TV quality material here, but Judah, make a long story short, ends up sleeping with a prostitute who was actually his daughter-in-law Tamar, who was undercover, um, and she got pregnant with Judah, her father-in-law's two kids. So, but why this story is even in Scripture is because Jesus Christ comes through the lineage of Judah and Tamar. And so, and it's important just to tuck that away and keep that in mind. Um, Genesis 39, 1 through 3, Joseph's story picks back up, and it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And I love this, and the reason I read this is to show that the Lord was with Joseph through it all in the midst of slavery. I think sometimes we can read this story and think, well, Joseph's being promoted. He has the good life now, but he's still a slave. And the Lord was with him. He was, he was separated from his family. Again, 17 years old, and he thinks, I'm never going to see my dad again. So it's, he's in the midst of despair and hopelessness. But the entire time the Lord was with him, and verse 3 shows that it was the Lord who caused him to succeed, not a coat. Not the fact that he was Jacob's favorite son, but the Lord. Well, Potiphar ended up putting Joseph in charge of all that he had. So he ran Potiphar's home. And we learn in Scripture that Joseph was a very good-looking. It says it. Joseph was a very good-looking man. And Potiphar's wife was used to getting what she wanted. So she saw, Joseph saw that he was really good-looking and set her eyes on him and said, I want that man. And she fixated her eyes on him and tried to get him to sleep with her. But thank goodness, Joseph is a godly man. He already knows, I've learned my lesson, and refuses, and this makes her really mad. So in Genesis 39, 11 through 12, it says, But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So what we can learn from this is when we have been stripped, when we are in the wilderness, we're at the most vulnerable place in our life. And temptation is going to come. It will come knocking at your door to try to bring some relief or try to um, bring a better way in your mind. The, the, a man will come knocking at your door that isn't godly or a woman or whatever God chooses to use um, 
the enemy chooses to use, he will tempt you to try to fall into a deeper pit and a deeper wilderness. But we have to stay the course and stay faithful to Jesus. In 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10, it speaks of really what Joseph did. It talks about how we need to humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, God is the one who exalts us. And then scripture warns us and says, there is an enemy out for your soul. He is roaring, he is prowling around looking to devour someone and something. But we are to resist him and to stand firm in our faith. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, which is what we see happen in the life of Joseph. In Genesis 39, Joseph was sent to prison um, after Potiphar's wife made false claims and he tried to rape her. And the thing that blows my mind about Joseph is that he made the decision in prison to honor God instead of becoming bitter. Now, I would like to say that I would respond exactly like Joseph. If my brothers all hated me, they plotted my murder, they sold me into slavery, and then I was falsely accused and sent to prison... I would like to say that I would honor God instead of becoming bitter. Because Joseph had every right to become bitter and angry. And I hear so often from people, well, Kim, I have the right to be bitter. Well, you don't even know what's happened to me. I have the right to be angry. I have the right to get revenge. And scripture is clear, we don't have that right. He had every right to become bitter and angry and make a plan for revenge, but he chose not to. And I I have to know, even though it doesn't clearly say, but Joseph was a human. He was fully man, and so I know that he must have had his bad days. I know that he must have had his moments of anger and bitterness, but Scripture is clear that he chose to honor God. He chose to honor him with his actions and attitudes, and because of that, God honored him. In Genesis 39, 21 through 23, it said, But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And I love this because if Joseph would have chosen bitterness and anger and rage in prison, and he would have been all crazy and and, and not sound mind and, and doing nutty things in prison, there's no way the prison guard would have put him in charge of other prisoners because then there would have been a riot. But because Joseph honored God and he reacted in complete opposite of really what everyone would expect him to, he was given privilege. He was given a place of of honor and a place of position in that prison. And just like God was with Joseph in prison, he is with us in our wilderness too. 
He is with us in every single moment. He is with us in the birth. He is with us in the death. He's with us in our health. He's with us in our sickness. And he is with us no matter what. And even when our circumstances change, we have one thing to stand on, and that is God will never change. He is faithful. And James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Hey, how many times do we ask God to take away difficult circumstances and he doesn't do it? A lot, right? I know there have been so many times I've asked him to take away a wilderness experience from me, and he hasn't done it how I wanted him to do it. But the question is, how can we be faithful to God and and choose to honor him in the midst of the wilderness? In Genesis 40, Joseph is 28 by this time, and he meets the cupbearer and the baker in prison. And he interpreted their dreams. So the cupbearer and baker were servants of Pharaoh. And the cupbearer was restored to Pharaoh's house. And the baker was killed in prison um, just as Joseph had interpreted their dreams to be. But the cupbearer promised to remember Joseph before Pharaoh. And um, he said, you know, since you have interpreted my dream correctly, when I get to Pharaoh's house, I'm going to remember you Tell him you shouldn't be here and get you out. But it says in scripture that the cupbearer forgot Joseph and he sat in prison for two more years. So my second point is in the wilderness you may be forgotten by man, but you are always remembered by God. See, Joseph repeatedly emerges from painful situations in his life with his character intact. This is the purpose of the wilderness. To test our character. To see how we're going to respond. To see if we're going to acknowledge God and keep our focus on him and not on our circumstances or ourselves. Because it's in the wilderness that God develops his character within us through the things we go through. And Romans 5, 3 through 5 gives us a formula. But it says to glory or to rejoice in our difficulties. And I will be the first to say, when I am going through a painful time, I will be the first to say, when Mel's dad passed away, I I wasn't, and I still am not totally. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for sending us to this painful place. But it's a formula for how to get hope. It instructs us to glory, to rejoice in our difficulties because of what they produce in our hearts. See, tribulation produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. See, character isn't only how we act because, man, we're so good at acting. We are so good at knowing how to appear like a good person or a good Christian. We can put on the act that we have good character but it's not till we're in the wilderness that our true character stands up. It's not till we're in the wilderness till the ugly things come out. So this is why the wilderness is so important. Joseph did the right thing and he suffered wrong results anyways. 
He kept honoring God, and God was with him. And he did the right thing and ran from Potiphar's wife, but he still got in prison. Yet he responded with a right heart before God and towards people, but so often what do we do? We go to Facebook and vent about the boss that let us go and how we were wronged. We go to Facebook and vent about the spouse that left us, not as showing our true character. And we think that it's in an attempt to seek revenge on them, but it just only reveals our heart and where we're at. See, when we suffer, our hope should not be that God will deliver us from our circumstances, but that God will walk with us through them. Hope is what prepares us for divine appointments because we believe that even when people forget about us, even when people don't keep their word like the cupbearer didn't keep his, God always will. Galatians 6.9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So I want to share the story of Kara Salati, um, a member of our church. Her and Aaron faithfully attend here. And I want you to hear uh, her wilderness story. Uh, eight years ago, I married my husband, Aaron, and we waited for a little bit to try to have a baby. We did get pregnant about nine months into trying, and that ended in a miscarriage. Um, and then... We kept trying, and every month it was it was disappointment after disappointment. Um, we tried infertility treatments and dietary changes and acupuncture and everything that I could think of over the course of the next six years. I was heartbroken. I was frustrated. I was angry. I saw other people getting pregnant easily. Um, even friends. I, I was so happy for them but I was hurting, my heart was breaking inside. In 2017, at the SHEAS conference, I was listening to Andy Andrews, and she just brought such a word um, about infertility, and she wanted to pray over those of us who were dealing with that and going through that struggle. Um, and just, at that time, I was still hurting, I was so raw, um, and I listened to it and I cried, and I remembered placing my hand on my heart and saying the prayer. I believed what she was saying, but I had a hard time believing that it was a word for me. Fast forward to the spring of the following year, and I was talking to Pastor Todd's wife, Jen, and she just felt strongly that she was supposed to tell me to go back and watch that prayer and that word again from Andy Andrews. And she told me to have my husband watch it again and to watch it together. So we did that, and she said, the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God is telling you to have the courage to hope again. That summer, we decided we're going to stop with all the treatments, stop with everything that we did, and just give it to God, and then just give Him that time, and just be a married couple again, and just honor God and what He wanted to do in our lives. And then, in September of that year, we found out we were pregnant. Now we have a beautiful baby boy named Samuel, because that verse meant so much to us. For Samuel 1:27, for this child I have prayed. Sammy just has the cutest little personality. He's so happy. Um, he's always smiling. He's now laughing. He has a little belly laugh. It's just so cute. Um, he's just, we can't imagine our lives without him now. Just know that God has a promise for you. It may not look like mine, but it's yours. 
and it's gonna be so special. Kara was in the last service, and what's amazing is uh, Andy Andrews spoke that word at our Shias conference that year, and I believe there's five or six women from our church that had been battling infertility for quite some time that are either now pregnant or um, have already had their miracle babies, and so God is working, and I love Kara. Um, she's a friend of mine, so I know that there were days that she asked God questions, and she was upset, and it was hard for her to go to other people's baby showers and, and all of those things. But the one thing Kara and Aaron stayed was faithful to God. They stayed faithful to the church. They stayed faithful to serving him and acknowledged that he was good no matter what. And just like we're learning from Joseph, that is our responsibility in the wilderness season. Even though Joseph was forgotten by man, and at times I'm sure he felt forgotten by God, he was not forgotten by God, and at just the right time, God caused the cupbearer to remember. In Genesis 41, Pharaoh had two dreams, and Joseph was 30 at this point, so that he had been in slavery and in prison for 13 years, and is given a place of power um, at this time. And in verse 16, Joseph gives God all of the credit. He says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See, Joseph was always willing to acknowledge that it was God's ability instead of acknowledging his own. And so easily, we're, we're, if we, we have a success or we have a, overcome something or we think we get ourselves out of the wilderness, we acknowledge our own ability instead of acknowledging that it's God's ability through us. See, um, and... Joseph just continued to humble himself, and God continued to raise him up. So in Genesis 42, Joseph was 37 by this time. It had been 20 years by this point now, and he had his brothers decided to come to Egypt. They were sent by their dad to go get grain because there was a great famine, and Egypt had resources. So Joseph's brothers were sent to Egypt um, for grain, and Joseph is now the second most important man in all of Egypt, but really all of the world at this point. Um, Pharaoh was top, Joseph was second. And it seemed like in scripture when we read this chapter that Joseph begins to question them and test them and you really think, oh, here's the moment Joseph gets to have his revenge. Like that's what we want. We want the revenge. We want Joseph to have his moment of justice where he gets justice because we like justice, right? You don't want to acknowledge that? Okay. Um, so that's what we think is about to happen when we're reading this story. But instead, Joseph was simply just testing their motives. He was checking their hearts. And here's our hope in this. No matter how broken a situation seems, God is a way maker. He is a repairer and the God of the impossible. And his process may be long and it may be painful. This was 20 years for Joseph. But his plans are perfect. And Joseph was still holding on to the dreams that God had given him 20 years before and was beginning now to see them come to life. So what dream has God given you that you haven't yet seen come to fruition? 
Hold on to that. See, in Genesis 43 and 44, there's a series of events that Joseph was testing them. He sends them back to their homeland to get his brother, and a lot of things happen, but we're going to pick it up in Genesis 45, 4 through 8. See, at this point, they still they don't recognize Joseph. They have no clue. It's been him all along. They just, I guess it was the nice robes and hat he was wearing. I don't know that, like when I go out in public with a ball cap, nobody knows who I am. So I think that was what, it was his hat, Joseph. So um, in 45, 4 through 8, he decides to make the big reveal. And he says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, which if I were his brothers, I'm trying to put it nicely. Heather's laughing at me. She knows what I want to say. I would be peeing my pants, but worse. I'm Joseph. And now, and this is what he says to them, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all of the land of Egypt. So Joseph makes the big reveal of his identity to his brothers and sends for his father Jacob to come to Egypt so that he can take care of them. This is 22 years later. His brothers had no clue who he was. And after a series of tests, they proved that they were convicted and they were repentant and their hearts were right. But they were expecting Joseph to crush them. I expected Joseph to crush them. I wanted Joseph to crush them. Um, I really like peace. I would have peace as my middle name if I could. I am a peacemaker. I don't like conflict, even though I did fight with my sister, but it's just different with your siblings. Right? Amen. Um, But I like peace. But when somebody messes with one of my people, Mama Kim comes out. She doesn't always come out in person. But Mama Kim's in her head, and she is thinking and plotting of all the things that she wants to say when she encounters the person who hurt my people. Anyone identify with that? Thank you, Scott. Yes. Um, Mama Kim comes out. So here's 22 years of pain and hurt. Some of you have been holding on to pain and hurt for 22 years and rehearsing it daily in your mind. And it is hurting you even more. 22 years of pain and hurt built up, ready to unleash. But what does Joseph do? He released forgiveness over them. And not only did he release forgiveness over them, he says, forgive yourselves. He releases forgiveness and then says, forgive yourselves, which is so much like Jesus Christ is to us. 
when we don't deserve his forgiveness, he extends his forgiveness to us. And then he says, and I want you to forgive yourself because this is for my good and my glory. See, in a devotion I read, it says, Revenge will destroy your character and bitterness will poison your soul, but forgiveness will strengthen your character, bringing healing, restoration, and peace. The most courageous thing you may ever do is forgive those who have hurt you the most. And in your wilderness season, if the enemy can't do anything else to you, he will make you bitter and angry. And so we are to be like Joseph and extend forgiveness and release those who have hurt us. And we are to release ourselves if we are the one who got us in the mess in the first place. See, Joseph remained focused on God and being, and God being glorified no matter what. In Proverbs 28, 25, it says, A greedy person stirs up conflict, but whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. In chapters 46 through 49, we see a series of Jacob and his family moving to a prime spot in Egypt. His family is blessed. Egypt is preserved. Jacob blesses Joseph's kids. And then in chapter 49, Jacob blesses his sons, and then he passes away. So the point number three and the final point is, in the wilderness, evil may be planned, but God fulfills his purpose and your destiny. See, in Genesis 50, it holds one of my favorite scriptures that I've held on to for many, many, many years. And the reason I have held on to it is because at one point in my life, and many of you have heard my story, I got myself in a mess. And I made some poor decisions that sent me to a wilderness. But I asked God, God, I don't want my pain to be wasted. I don't want what I have gone through, even if I chose it. I don't want it to be wasted. I want it, God, turn this around and use it for your good and your glory. Turn this around so that babies can be saved. Turn it around so that women can be set free. Turn it around, God, because I can't do anything. I can't, in my own good, turn a situation around, but God can. And in Genesis 50, um, Joseph is 56, And even though reconciliation had already happened, the brothers got really scared again because Jacob, their dad, had died. And so they're thinking, well, Joseph probably really didn't mean that he forgave us. He was just doing that because he's dad's favorite and saving face. But now that dad's dead, we're in trouble. And Pharaoh, if he finds out, he's going to be ticked off too and turn a blind eye and let Joseph have his way with us. So in fear... His brothers make up a lie, and they come to Joseph, and they say, Joseph, before dad died, he told us that you are to forgive us. (laughs) How many of you as kids did that, like to your siblings? Mom said, these are adult men here. Dad said, but they were making up the lie. But this is Joseph's response. Genesis 50, 20. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. The wilderness is bigger than you. God will use your wilderness for the saving of many lives, but only if you humble yourself. Only if you allow him to develop your character through it all. 
See, even though the brothers had planned evil, God overrode their plans to make sure eternal good was done because God's plan isn't to make us happy here on this earth, and he wants us to live a joyful, abundant life. That is his desire for us. But ultimately, he wants people to come to know him. And so if in our wilderness season, if we're not reflecting a God that we put faith in, if we're not reflecting that we trust God, if we're not reacting any differently than the people who don't know him, why would they want Jesus? Why would they want a God that that we don't even trust? See, Lisa Turker says, where God is good, good is being, where God is, good is being worked. We don't have to see it. We can choose to believe it because we believe in God. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And in my closing, I just, I want to read this from Tony Evans' Bible commentary. But first, I just, you know, there's so many times in the wilderness season that I have begged God to deliver me from it. That I have begged him to get me out right then, and sometimes he does, but so often he doesn't. I have to trust God with the whole story, the things that I can't see, or how it will affect people hundreds of years from now. My job in the wilderness, your job in the wilderness is to honor him. My job in the wilderness is to seek him. My job in the wilderness is to bring glory to him and be a light around me, even when I don't want to. My job in the wilderness is to worship him. Tony Evans says, had had Joseph gotten his way at any point along his journey, he might have stopped God's plan. Had Joseph not been sold into slavery, he wouldn't have been in Egypt. Had he not been falsely accused in Potiphar's house, he wouldn't have been in jail. Had he not been in jail, he wouldn't have met Pharaoh's servants. Had the cupbearer remembered him and had him released earlier, he wouldn't have been in a place where he could be easily summoned to interpret Pharaoh's dream. If any one of the links in this chain were broken, famine would have overtaken the land, killing countless people, including Joseph and the rest of his family. All of God's promises that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and even Jacob would have come to nothing. And then I'll add this, going back to Judah in chapter 38. If Joseph wouldn't have spared his brothers... If he wouldn't have gone along with God's plan and humbled himself and trusted him through it all, then Judah would be dead. And we potentially would not have a Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Joseph got to see the end of his story. Some of us will and some of us won't. But you have to trust in the character and the nature of God. He will bring forth good, even if we don't get to see it here on this earth. See, anywhere there's evil, God steps in. When we humble ourselves, he redirects the path to turn it for his good and his glory. 
a few days after, a few days after um, we found out that Mel's dad had passed away, our friend Brandon, who actually is on staff at his dad's, Mel's dad's church um, as their creative director, and he's done a lot of our graphic design um, and creative stuff for Shia's conference. But his wife, Erica, was diagnosed with a stage four breast cancer four and a half years ago, and she's in her mid-30s. And she was given eight months to live at that time. And just through experimental drugs and her will to live and fight and be there for her small boys, uh, she has fought and seemingly... Um, won the last four and a half years, but on a day before Christmas, they had, they had flown to Connecticut to be with her family and celebrate Christmas with them, and Erica noticed something strange going on with her body, but she asked Brandon, please don't take me to the hospital. I want to enjoy Christmas, and then we can go. So on December 26, Mel gets texts from Brandon. I get an email just asking us to pray, and Basically, the doctors uh, found cancer in every organ of her body and in her spine. So the doctors basically said, like, you're not, you're not going to make it. So Erica has made the decision to go on hospice in Connecticut, far away from Oklahoma, so that she can be with her parents and to die there. Her boys are 15 and 13. And through this all, Erica has kept a blog, and she's been real honest about her struggle, but she's always declared God's goodness and always declared his faithfulness and believed for her healing. And Brandon posted this a few days ago, and I just felt it so appropriate for this message. It says, I don't know why this was her journey, I don't know why she hasn't been healed. There are a lot of whys. But through it all, God is still God. God is still good. And God is still faithful. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at in your wilderness journey. And I hate it as much as you do. But God will turn it around for his good and his glory, and it will be for the saving of many lives. What's our responsibility? Humble ourselves. Put our faith in God and not in man. Allow him to develop character in us. Not perfection, but character. Look around for the blessings that we do have and recall his faithfulness in our lives. See, I'm sure today there are some of you in this room and I want to be super honest that God can't be a God with you if you haven't chosen relationship with him. We get to choose relationship with him. We get to choose to refuse it. Personally, I've done life without God. I've done the wilderness without God, and I never, ever, ever want to do that again. Why wouldn't you choose a relationship to have a God that is with you in every moment? 
This God isn't a God that puts us at arm length. He was just the same God that he was for Joseph. He comes up in close proximity to us. And when we choose to enter into relationship with him, he is God with us. He is a God who is with us in our suffering and he's with us in a wilderness. And it's Christ in us that allows us to navigate it well. It has nothing to do with us or how good we are, but it's Christ in us. And so today I just want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes and maybe you're here today and you would say, Kim, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have never made that decision, but today I want to choose to have a relationship, to be forgiven of my sins, to have a God that is with me. Or maybe you used to follow him but for whatever reason you have turned your back on him in the years and have chosen not to follow him anymore, but you want to recommit to that today. So if you are in here and you are one of those two people that say, I want to choose a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want God with me, or I want to recommit my life to him and choose to follow him, would you just raise your hand? Yes, I see you in the center. I see you in the balcony. You can put your hand down. Well, if everyone will just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising again. For my salvation. For my forgiveness. For my freedom. Today, I choose you. I want to walk with you. I need you with me. Help me, God, to honor you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just celebrate with those that made the decision today? If you made that decision, we want to come alongside of you, and uh, there's a card in the seat back in front of you, a salvation card. Fill that out. Take it to the info center before you leave today, and we want to give you a Bible to help you along. And if you're watching online, you can also text the word SALVATION to 555-888, and we would love to come alongside of you in your journey. Now, how many of you would just admit, I'm in a wilderness, and I need, I need God with me? A lot of you. So I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you today. And, and before I do, I want to invite our prayer team forward. They're going to be at the front of the room and they're going to be available for the next few minutes to pray and agree with you for your need. Don't leave here today if you have a need and want prayer. Um, they're not anything special other than people who really trust God and and have been through valleys and wildernesses themselves and are just going to agree with God for you. And so I want to invite them to come, but let me pray a final prayer of blessing over you today. God, I just thank you for this church body. I thank you for my church family. God, you know their situations. You know their deepest pain and the wilderness they are currently navigating. And God, I'm asking you to make your presence known. 
Oh God, that we would know your presence. That we would be able to say, just like Joseph, in the middle of my wilderness, it is God is with me. God, I pray that because of that, other people would take notice and that our wilderness is, would be the saving of many people. God, let our lives point back to you and bring glory to you in everything we say and everything we do, God. And I pray that you would heal the wounds and the pains in this room today. You are our healer. You are our redeemer. And God, we thank you for that. And I bless them as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you all have a wonderful day. We love you and we will see you next weekend.